the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. SRN New. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The next great event that happens on the prophetic chart timetable is the rapture of the church. We don't know when that will happen. But God will take his church, his true believers out. And then shortly after that, a seven year period on earth will take place called the tribulation. And the Old Testament is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel will be under severe attack. And it will be seven years of the worst experience that anyone has ever endured on this earth. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will return. That's what this is talking about. As believers in Jesus Christ, we look forward to the rapture with great anticipation. We certainly see things shaping up on the world scene, just as the Bible predicts they will prior to the tribulation. This is Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Steve has been pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 30 years. We are presently going through Matthew chapter 13 and the parables Jesus spoke to teach his disciples about the kingdom he was establishing on earth. Jesus taught through parables because the Jewish people had rejected him, and these truths were hidden from them. However, he explained them to the disciples and to us through his spoken and written word. These studies are fascinating as Pastor Steve opens up God's word and helps us understand God's plan for his future kingdom here on earth. Stay tuned. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported program. As folks are blessed by these studies, they contribute to Verse by Verse Ministries and support the work by their prayers. We are very grateful for their faithfulness. To express our appreciation, we are offering the book Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd to anyone who sends a contribution of any size to Verse by Verse Ministries. Later, I'll tell you more about this 207-page paperback book that contains some of the most important messages Steve has given during his years of ministry at Lakeside. Right now, though, let's get to our class as we continue looking at the parable of the fishing net. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, here's the way this parable unfolds. It's not difficult to follow Christ's logic. It's not difficult to understand this parable, but here's how it's laid out. Here's the big picture. First, Jesus gives an earthly story from the world of fishing that illustrates an important truth about the kingdom of heaven. It's just an earthly story, makes an illustrative point. But then he gives the deeper spiritual meaning behind the story that explains how it specifically illustrates the nature of his kingdom. And then finally, after finishing this parable, he's through with all the parables, Jesus asks his disciples a question. Do you understand these parables? They say yes. It's very questionable whether they really understood, but they thought they did. And then the Lord gives a concluding comment about the responsibility that 
his disciples had now that they said they understood these various kingdom truths communicated through all the parables. So let's begin first as we look at the story of the fishnet. What is the story? Verses 47 and 48. A simple story. I'll explain the background so you'll understand exactly what's going on. And those of you who have been to Israel can visualize some things in your mind as you have seen the Sea of Galilee. Again, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. In this parable, Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to something that his disciples, all of his disciples, would be very familiar with, a fishnet, a fishing net. Most of his disciples, as you'll recall, were professional fishermen. They worked on the Sea of Galilee, which is really a big lake, and they were very aware of the fishing methods used to catch fish on the lake. Basically, there were three methods that were used in those days. One approach was to use a line and a hook, and you did that if you wanted to catch one fish at a time. But if you wanted to catch more than one fish, then you'd have to use a net. And there were two types of nets commonly used in those days. One was a small net that a single fisherman who would walk out into the shallow part of the lake could then throw over a school of fish that was going by and then haul them in. He just needed himself to do that. He didn't need anybody else. And that was a small net used by a single fisherman. But the other net, and this is the net that Jesus is talking about because this is the word that is used here of dragnet. The other kind of net and the third method used by the fishermen of that day was a large, huge net called a dragnet. Because once the fish were caught in this net, it would be dragged towards the shore and they in it. That's the net that this parable is talking about. And an understanding of exactly how this worked will give you insight into what Jesus is talking about. Here's how one scholar explained how a dragnet on the Sea of Galilee worked. He writes, this net required a team of fishermen to operate and sometimes covered as much as a half square mile. It was pulled into a giant circle around the fish between two boats out in the deep water or by one boat when working from the shore. In the latter case, one end of the net would be firmly moored on shore while the other was attached to the boat, which would make a large circle out into the water and come back to the starting place. Floats were attached to the top of the net and weights to the bottom, forming a wall of net from the surface to the bottom of the lake because the net permitted nothing to escape. All sorts of things beside the desirable fish were caught. It swept everything in its path, weeds, objects dropped overboard from boats, all manner of sea life and fish of every kind. So that ought to give you a visual and an explanation of of what Jesus is talking about. Now, because this huge fishing net dragged in all kinds of objects from the sea. Once it was brought on shore, fishermen then were forced to go through the net and sort out the good fish from the bad fish. And this could take hours. I mean, it was a huge net and lots of fish and things are in the Sea of Galilee. And that's precisely what Jesus was referring to. If you'll notice verse 48, and when it is filled, meaning this net, they, meaning the fishermen, drew it up on the beach And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. In other words, the fishermen then had to, once they brought the net on shore, they had to separate the good fish from the bad fish. The good fish, Jesus said, 
they were placed into containers, meaning that they were put in containers of water to keep the fish alive and fresh and then sold to various markets throughout Israel. That's what he's talking about. But bad fish, the Lord said, were simply thrown away. They were discarded because nobody, nobody had any use for them. Now, the question is, what determined if fish were good or fish were bad? Well, by good fish, Jesus meant fish that Jewish people were permitted to eat. In other words, kosher, kosher food, food that they were allowed under the Old Testament dietary laws. By bad fish, he meant fish without fins and scales, which according to Leviticus 11, were forbidden to be eaten by Jewish people under that, in that dispensation. Now, that is the basic meaning of the story that Jesus told about the fishing net that dragged in fish from the Sea of Galilee. But obviously, there's a deeper spiritual meaning here. This is an illustration of, of one truth that the Lord wants us to know about his kingdom. So what is it? Well, let's move from the basic story to the spiritual message found in the story about the fish net. So Jesus is going to interpret this for us and tell us how this story illustrates the kingdom of heaven. Verse 49. So he said, it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. Now, the first thing that Jesus tells us is that the activity of the fishermen in separating the good kosher fish from the bad non-kosher fish is a picture, and it pictures the work of angels at the end of the age. At that time, Jesus said, it will be the responsibility of angels under his direction to separate the wicked from the righteous. Now, I want to stop here for a few moments and just ask some very important questions that will help us to understand exactly what the Lord is saying. First of all, Jesus said that the separation will come at the end of the age. Now, we know that that the separation he's talking about is a time of divine judgment. The question is, what judgment is he referring to? There is a judgment called the great white throne judgment that comes at the end of the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ. But that's not what this is referring to. That's not what this is referring to. And that's the reason I want to clarify this, because there are many times when we hear the word judgment, we think of the great white throne judgment. But that's not what this is talking about. Let me tell you why. Keep in mind that all of the parables reveal truths about a specific time period, the kingdom as it exists right now. While the Lord is not here on earth in a physical sense. So it only makes sense that when Jesus speaks of this present age coming to a close, and that's what he's talking about, the end of the age, he's referring to a time when he begins to close out the age, and then he will be physically present, which he is not right now. So it would appear that the close of this age that he's talking about is the end of the tribulation period when Jesus returns to earth for the purpose of establishing his physical kingdom on earth for a thousand years. So let me explain. The next great event that happens on the prophetic chart timetable is the rapture of the church. We don't know when that will happen, but God will take his church, his true believers out. And then shortly after that, a seven year period on earth will take place called the tribulation. And the Old Testament is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel will be under severe attack and it will be seven 
years of the worst experience that anyone has ever endured on this earth. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will return. That's what this is talking about. And so just after his return and prior to establishing the millennial thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, he'll rule out of Jerusalem, it is, it's the time that he's talking about when the angels will separate the wicked from the righteous for the purpose of judging them as this present age comes to a close. Now, we have correlation in other passages of Scripture that validate what I just said, and I'd like you to see this. Matthew chapter 25, just a few chapters later in this book. Now, let me explain. Matthew 24 is about the tribulation. That's all Matthew 24 is really about, is the tribulation period and then the return of Christ. In Matthew 25, we hear about the return of Christ and judgment that follows. And specifically, we read in Matthew 25, starting at verse 31, notice this, but when the Son of Man comes, and this is the second coming of Christ in his glory, and all the angels, notice the angels are with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That throne will be in Jerusalem. It'll be a physical glorious throne. It is actually the throne of David, who was the king of Israel. This is David's greater son, our Lord. He'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations, meaning the Gentile nations, will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. And we know that he does this through angels. This is the separation that he talked about in the parable. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then if you jump down to verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones into, notice this, the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So instead of the picture of good and bad fish, the imagery here is sheep and goats, but the point is, is simply the same. Separation, separation as the angels under the the Lord's direction will separate believers from unbelievers. Now, the second question that we need to ask is what is the basis for the separation? In other words, when Jesus said the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, who is he referring to? Who's the wicked? Who's the righteous? Well, by wicked, Jesus means all unbelievers, all unbelievers, those who live their lives completely independent of the Lord. That's that's the epitome of wickedness. Doing my own thing. That's wickedness. Their behavior may not have been outwardly wicked. In fact, they may outwardly have lived quite moral and upright lives. But wickedness still reigns supreme in their hearts because they had no place for the Lord in their lives. Everything was about them, their reputation, their lives, their promotion, all that. They are the ones who in the parable of the sower rejected the message of the king. And now payday for that rejection has come. On the other hand, the, one, the ones that Jesus called righteous are believers, but they're, they're not righteous because they have any intrinsic righteousness in themselves. No, they are simply those who recognize that they are not righteous in themselves. And so they humbly turn to Christ, broken and contrite over their sins. They ask him to forgive them of their sins. They rely upon his mercy in crediting them with his own righteousness. So they're righteous only in the sense of transformed character and the imputed righteousness of Christ to their account. So understand, wicked or unbelievers, righteous or believers. Now, the third important question that we want to ask is this, is this separation 
of the wicked from the righteous, something that is irreversible and permanent. That is to say, once the separation has taken place, is there any time for someone to to change and trust Christ and so avoid judgment? And the answer is no, no. Once the separation begins, the judgment that it leads to is permanent and irreversible. Just as the separation in the dragnet of the bad fish from the good fish is permanent, so the separation of the wicked from the righteous is permanent too. That is to say, once Christ returns and the angels start separating unbelievers from believers, divine judgment is certain and it is inescapable. Once again, I'd like you to look at another passage in Matthew. Now, Matthew chapter 24. And actually, this is a very misunderstood section. Uh, even after giving this, uh, this message in the morning, somebody came to me and said, but I, I was taught otherwise. Well, let me tell you what, what I think this is about. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So Jesus is talking, understand, the context here is at the end of the tribulation. He's talking about his return. He's the Son of Man. He said, it'll be very similar when I come back to what happened in the days of Noah. The days of Noah refer to the flood, the universal flood, global flood. And here he explains, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now let's stop here for a moment and say what Jesus is talking about is not wickedness on the earth, although it is true that that people will be wicked at that point. But what he's talking about is life went on as usual until judgment came. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. That's certainly fine. There's nothing wrong with marrying and giving in marriage. He's not talking about wicked behavior. Now he's talking about before the flood came, people lived their lives as if there was no judgment. Life continued as it always had, but then suddenly the judgment of the flood came. He said, that's the way it's going to be when I return. People will be living their lives. They'll be eating. They'll be drinking, carrying on the normal routines of life. Some people will be getting married. They'll be having parties about marriage, banquets, and then I'll come. Now, notice this. Verse 40. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. A common view of this is that this is the rapture. This is not the rapture. This is the end of the tribulation. The rapture has taken place seven years prior to this. This is judgment. What Jesus is saying is that when he returns, there'll be a separating of people, believers and unbelievers. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken, meaning one will be taken off to judgment because he's an unbeliever. And one will be left to enter into the kingdom on earth. Likewise, two women will be grinding at the mill, they just be doing their own thing. One will be taken because why? She was an unbeliever. The angels have separated her from this other person who is a believer and one will be left. The person who will be left is a believer left on the earth. So this is not the rapture. This is judgment. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in the parable. The angels will separate them. One will be taken. One will be left. Once Jesus returns, unbelievers will be taken away from the earth in judgment. Believers will be left then on the earth to enter into the millennial kingdom. 
So what Christ is saying is just as the flood brought certain judgment on all unbelievers on the earth in the days of Noah, so his return will bring certain judgment on all unbelievers as they will be separated from believers and then removed from the earth. So it's critical for us to understand that what we do with Jesus Christ now during these days will determine our eternal destiny. To receive him as our king today means salvation from his eternal wrath tomorrow and forever. But to continue to disregard him means that you will experience the certainty of his eternal wrath. Now, you may think that the concepts of divine judgment and wrath are just irrelevant doctrines. If you're an unbeliever, that's probably what you do think. Just an irrelevant doctrine that preachers just use to scare people to pray to receive Christ. But no one, you might think, is ever going to experience real judgment like this. You might think life just isn't like that. We're free to do whatever we want, go wherever we, we, we please to go, and no one is ever going to catch us like we're fish in a net. That's just fanciful thinking. But here's something that one Bible teacher wrote that gives us a much more accurate explanation of the freedom that unbelievers think that they experience. Listen to this. He writes, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. The net moves through the world unseen. When the net touches the back of a fish, the creature simply swims a little further ahead of it, enjoying what appears to be permanent freedom. Men move about in this world, imagining themselves to be free, fulfilling their own desires with little knowledge that the net of judgment is coming closer and closer. Each time men are touched by the net, they move a little further along. Eventually, they'll find themselves hitting the part of the net in front of them. They'll make a wild dash to escape, yet find themselves totally surrounded by the net. Finally, they'll be dragged onto the shore, flailing as they enter death. Men may not see God moving in the world, but he is moving. When they are touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ or become scared by the threat of judgment, they dart away into the freedom they think is ahead of them. But sooner or later, they'll find that they are still caught in the net that is moving them toward judgment. The kingdom will ultimately engulf all men, and God will separate them with his angels. Now, if you're an unbeliever, that ought to be a chilling statement for you. Chilling because of its reality. But that is exactly what, it, what Jesus is talking about. And so we learn from our Lord that judgment for the unsaved is inevitable. The question is then, then what will that judgment entail? In other words, after the angels remove the wicked from the righteous, what will happen next to the wicked? Well, that's exactly what Jesus proceeds to reveal. As he explains in verse 50, the nature of the judgment that will be experienced by all unbelievers, notice verse 50, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is telling us that once the angels separate unbelievers from believers, the first thing they're going to do under the direction of Christ is throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, which is a reference to hell. The reality of an eternal hell should wake up complacent Christians and motivate them to share the gospel message with everyone they meet. That reality should also cause the unbeliever to think very seriously about his or her relationship to a holy God. The good news is that by recognizing our lost condition and trusting totally in Christ's sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, every person can be rescued from the awful specter of eternal punishment in the lake of fire. I hope you, my listening friend, 
have seen your lost condition and have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ as your only hope of heaven. If you have any questions concerning this and would like to talk with someone about it, please call us at 727-239-0306. We'd love to talk and pray with you. Now about the book I mentioned at the beginning of our class, Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd. It can be yours when you send a contribution of any amount to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You can donate online at versebyverseradio.org or call us at 727-239-0306. I know you will be blessed as you read these landmark sermons given by Pastor Steve, and your gift will help keep this program on the air. Verse by Verse Ministries is an outreach of Lakeside Community Chapel, 1839 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. If you are looking for a church home, why don't you drop by for a visit in one of our services? Pastor Steve would love to meet and greet you. Call the church at 727-441-1714 for service times. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will wrap up his message on the parable of the fishing net. Be sure to be here. Until then, I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden, saying, Thanks for listening to Verse by Verse. Call from heaven that Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, Here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't put him in any way. But now I know. Question. In your defining moment, does God know? Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTB. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.